welcome to another episode of the JMS podcast. We've got a great episode for you people here today. Our guest is comedian Chris Mitri. Had a great conversation about a lot of things actually, about stand up and about uh, films, certain films. It gets a little geeky at times, but I think I think it adds more flavor to the conversation. Yeah, look out for that one. If you like to, uh, I like to get some feedback. You can email me at JMS Podcast at gmail.com that's jmspodcast at gmail.com I'd love to hear your feedback also if you have any questions or anything, any topics you'd like to be brought up more than happy to do that and this podcast is now available on Stitcher yes we made it to Stitcher so there's no real excuse anymore we're on SoundCloud we are on iTunes and we are on Stitcher now so Download, share, like, oh, most importantly, listen to them. And I like how I keep saying we, we, I guess I, I, uh, I could use an intern for sure, but don't think I could pay him or her. But yeah. Oh, big shout out to those in Germany. Apparently I got some listeners in Germany. That's right. Big shout out to you guys. I uh, can't really go, uh, hello America. I have to say hello world. That's right. I got a couple of listeners in Germany, Dusseldorf. Uh, then again, it might be like somebody's uh, IP, you know, like those offshore accounts, parts of some like IP outside the country. I don't know. But if that's not the case, uh, I love you guys over there in Dusseldorf. Never met you guys, but I'm glad to know that there's some people out there listening. It's always reassuring to know that somebody's listening to you out there. All this talking and it's like, oh, I hope someone listens. Uh, I performed stand-up for the first time in Santa Cruz. That was a lot of fun. Santa Cruz, you're pretty cool. I haven't done stand-up in Santa Cruz, and I went to a open mic called The Poet and the Patriot on Monday nights. And it was pretty cool. It's, it's very uh, comfy. It's a, it's a small little uh, Irish pub, and it's very intimate. And so I had a lot of fun. Santa Cruz, something about Santa Cruz, it has a good mix of, of weird mysterious and sad there's something like something about Santa Cruz like has those three it's, it's like it's weird mysterious and sad and the sadness I'm really attracted to I don't know why but that's the best part I mean when I was there at doing the open mic I went to a Taco Bell I haven't been to Taco Bell for a while like a long time I and I had Taco Bell in Santa Cruz because the only thing open at like 11 p.m. Once I ate Taco Bell again, I was reminded why I don't eat Taco Bell. But man, I saw these guys hustling there. They were understaffed and they were hustling and they were doing their best to deal with all the all the weird people coming in. So I, I shout out to those guys, man, working hard in the fast food industry. It's not a very glamorous job, but it's an important job. Signing Cruz, that was great. I can't wait to go back. Oh, enough about that. Let's go to the interview. Here's Chris Mitri. Yeah, so Chris Mitri, thank you for coming on the podcast. Anytime, man. Thank you so much for having me. Chris Mitri, he's, um, how you been? Been good, been Let's good. Let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> Busy. Busy, I'll say that. 
Yeah. Sorry if I'm a little like, ugh, because I just got to work. And no, I'm like, man, I completely understand. I took, I'm like, took the light rail here, and it's like, mm-hmm. ugh, okay. No, I'm having one of those days, too, where I'm like, okay, I have to meet the schedule, or else, okay, I'm going to fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. But Chris Mitri, uh, I, you do stand-up comedy. I do, yes. And uh, how long have you been doing that for? Um, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird timeline. Um, I did my first open mic when I was about eighteen. Um, Straight out of high school? Uh, no, actually in college. In college? Yeah, eighteen going on nineteen. Um, I I uh, did my first open mic then. Did a couple more, but realized I'm not twenty one and I'm not that funny, so I really can't <laughs> go to a lot of places. So uh, quit for a while. Uh, got back into it when I was about twenty. And um, uh, 20 still couldn't hit up places because, again, a lot of these places are bars, um, a lot of clubs, 21 and up, so really can't do much there. So I had to wait till I was 21. 21 uh, did a mic over at Blue Lagoon in Santa Cruz, and ever since then, been hitting it up at like hardcore. Blue Lagoon, haven't done it, but I heard it's such it is a great, a really great fun mic when you're yeah. fucked up. When you're fucked up? I heard it's a great mic, even if you're not fucked up. <laughs> Dude, my experience... Well, I've only been there once. The only other time I was supposed to go there, I was, like, uber sick, and, like, I had to cancel, like, last minute. Like, when I you was... You were really fucked up I then. Was... <laughs> 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 oh, man, dude, that fucking narco will get you. No, but, um, when, uh, it was my 21st birthday, and that was actually my show over Blue Lagoon, my 21st, and it was so weird, because, like, it was the first time I had ever, like, drank in, like, a bar... So I get in there. I'm with a buddy of mine who drove me because, you know, don't drink and drive. PSA. Love you. Um, <laughs> so I go in there. And I'm like, hey, man, it's my birthday. I want a drink. The bartender's like, okay, let me see your ID. He sees my ID. He's like, okay, so do you want to get fucked up? Or do you want to have fun? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get fucked up. <laughs> let's go so, for it. Yeah, let's do it. So I can't remember exactly the drinks that I got. All I remember is five minutes later, Curtis Taylor III, CT3, walking in and being like, yo, and I'm like, holy shit, dude, it's fucking Curtis. And he's like, I'm going to buy you a shot. That was the worst thing he's ever done in my life. (laughs) Bought me a shot, and from there, I was just out of it because I'm getting like seven and sevens, beers, shots from like everybody in the bar. So I go on stage, and I'm like, what's up, motherfuckers? How are you? And I like I watched back my footage that night when I was still drunk, and I'm like, oh, my God, I fucking killed. That was awesome. And the next morning, I watch it, and I'm like, I am such a fucking idiot. <laughs> Why would I ever think that was a good idea? Oh, man. But it's just things that like that that we always look back on, and we're like, I'm not going to do that again. What was the first open mic you ever done? Rooster Tea Feathers, actually. I was there. Oh, you went to the, you know, pretty good mic mm-hmm. for your first New time. Showcase. Because, I mean, like, when you're getting into comedy, you don't necessarily, like, know how to do it. So the first thing I did, I thought, oh, yeah, the Improv Comedy Club, that's in downtown San Jose. I'm going to see if I can go there. I emailed the owner. <laughs> improv? Yep. And I'm like, hey, I've always wanted to do stand-up. Can I do it? Never got a response. <laughs> So right. then I see, oh yeah, there's this other club, Rooster Tea Feathers. That's kind of weird. But then I see Jerry Seinfeld on the page, Rob Williams on the page. And I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. So I ask him, hey, can I do a mic sometime? They're like, yeah, come by. You can have uh, four minutes. And if you bring anybody else, you get an extra minute. I'm like, okay, cool. And not going to lie, I bombed hardcore all except for my opener. Like, what was your opener? Well, because you knew like open mic, you know, open mics and stuff like that. <laughs> Oh, Mike's like it's a bunch of guys who a bunch of guys and girls sorry 2015 um that want to do stand-up and want to make it so I go on stage and I'm like hey guys I'm Chris Mitri um you know I'm 18 years old doing stand-up for the first time I'm hanging out with all the comics in the back 
and all of them are like, oh man, I've been doing this for like 20 years, been doing this for like 15 years, and I'm like still going at it, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, so when did your dreams die, and that was the only thing that killed on stage, not even killed, got laughs on stage. Did you think the comedians in the back were laughing? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> they knew it was so true. Yeah. You know, like, there's something inspiring, but at the same time, sad about that, when you hear oh, comics yeah. who've been doing it for so long, and I mean, I have great respect for them. Mm-hmm. But like 20 years in and still, you know, doing open mics. Mm-hmm. Man, making it big, but then, dude. But then again, I can't making say... Making it big. That could be Cafe my... Cafe Scotty Monday nights. Let's do it. Right? I mean, that could be my future. I might just be an open micer like my whole stand-up career. But dude, you have so much more going for you, though, because you're striving so hard as it is right now. You have a web oh, series you. on YouTube. You have an open mic that you're, you're still running, right? Uh, actually, Victor Cruz Perez is running it now. BCP, dude. BCP. But still, dude, the fact that yeah. you started that mic, the fact that you're still going hard at stand-up, and you have so many other outlets that you're going at right now, you're one of those guys who I can see totally making it in anything that he really believes in. Wow, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Yeah, dude. Wow, really, Chris? <laughs> Straight off the bat, do I have to start unzipping my zipper now? Jesus. Oh, yeah, we'll suck cock afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> no, but thank you so much, seriously. I appreciate it. Dude, no problem. Um, it's that kind of hustle that we really have to, like really seeing ourselves to be where we want to be you're actually one of the biggest hustlers i know because i know you're for one thing i know you're always active you always got something going on i I try dude i really try like i'm in love with film never done anything that tried to do something failed in it but still like i'm i'm still writing a lot of stuff that i want to do so if i'm not on stage if i'm not at work like it's it's a hard life to do when you're working 40 hours a week in a weird schedule and trying to hit up mics and trying to do shows and trying to write this YouTube series and trying to like um, trying to just get out there and get exposure. What came first, film or comedy? Film, definitely film. When I was um, when I was about fourteen years old, I discovered that I loved. Actually, you know, before any of that, acting came first. Acting. Acting, and that's still like a big passion of mine to the extreme to the point that like when I was in college to make money, I did commercials for websites. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What? Like, what kind of commercials were these? Um, it was like when you um, you know, when you click on an ad, or like even on Facebook, when you go on Facebook and you see those ads, like, oh yeah, go to BuzzFeed.com. I was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you're the guy who were interrupting the video. Yeah, exactly. Hey, God I'm damn guy, it, Chris. I'm the guy who you're like, oh fuck, I gotta watch this ad right now. Shit. That's pretty good though. Pretty good gig. Yeah. How, it is. how long you been acting? Um, again, since I was like 14. Because, like, um, I was 14, my family and I, we moved to Arizona, and um, I was really in love with acting, because when I was 13, I discovered my passion in drama, and I got all the leads, I was a Bob Cratchit at Christmas Carol, I was Phineas Fogg in, um, in Around the World in 80 Days, and I did all the musicals, did all the plays in high school and stuff like that, but um, when I was about 14 going on 15, there was this casting thing that was going on in Arizona, and it was those things on TV where you see it and you're like, oh man, do you like Drake and Josh? Well, come down to this casting thing in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're going to try and put you on Drake and Josh. And I go down there and I'm like, this is not anything like <laughs> I thought it would be. It's literally like, it was one of those things where like, it's a scam to be like, oh man, we're going to put you on TV. And they call you and they're like, um, we didn't think your audition was that great, but if you come to our acting school, we can definitely help you oh. to be that good. Yeah. So my disappointment was like, ah, oh, shit. And what's even worse was, I told my parents, mom and dad, I think I want to be an actor. And they sat me down. I, this is the most depressing I've ever been. When I was, yeah, when I was about that age, they sat me down. They're like, Chris, um, look, you're Arabic. You can't be an actor, but you can be an uh, electric engineer if you want. 
<laughs> you can definitely do uh, something in there, and I'm like, an Arabic actor. You're, I guess, the uh, look. The only li- limited roles, I suppose. Limited roles to terrorist or fat guy from Bruno. Okay. <laughs> or Borat. I'm Borat. sorry. <laughs> so, where's your family from? I, I mean, my you mom said is, you moved to Arizona. Uh huh. So, were you born and raised? I was. Um, okay, so it's kind of a weird story. So, um, my mom was raised in Palestine. Oh, wow. what part? Gaza uh, or West Bank? Literally Palestine. Like, the central of it. Like Oh, be- before, you yeah, know, the before. 67 w- war. Yeah. Okay. My mom, uh, my grandfather worked for the UN. And um, one day he said, okay, um, we have one pass right now to go to the States. Everybody grab one thing that you want. We're going to the States. My mom was about eight or nine years old when that happened. Wow. And ever since then, she's been in the States. It's crazy the journey that she's been on, like just coming like that transition, yeah. seeing how Americanized she is right now. It's just insane. Is she Americanized? Yeah, she's yeah. totally like she's like she's like whitewashed to the extreme now. It's kind of funny. Um, like I go over to like some of my Arabic cousins' uh, houses and stuff like that. Their moms have like really thick accents, or like they make like Arabic food all the time. My mom's like, "Hey, we're barbecuing back here. Who wants uh, who wants some chicken? Let's do it." Chicken. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so she came and met your dad here in the states. Yeah, my dad. Uh, my dad. I, I think he was born in. Pal- I don't really have the best relationship with my dad. Um, but so you're, I, they're both Palestinians. Yeah. So you're, I'm 100. percent You're 100 percent Palestinian. Yeah. Okay. Which is why saying that I want to be an actor was such a hard thing for them to hear because they're like actor, and and I completely understand why they would say it too. Why they would think it was such like a weird thing for me to say because all of our families like engineers, accountants. Uh, managers, just like really high up stuff, and here's your son being like, "Hey, I want to be, want to be an actor, <laughs> be on TV." And they're like, Haha, "Yeah, let's take it back a step." Yeah. So your parents are engineers, or no? My mom, uh, she is. Uh, I don't think I'd say on air, but whatever. Fuck it. Um, my mom, uh, she works for L'Oreal. L'Oreal. Yeah, That's she's cool. pretty high up. Um, and my dad, you know, he he's one of those uh, one of those things. One of those things. Sure. Yeah, um, but my uh, it's kind of weird because after going through all that, like my life has changed so much in the last eight years from my parents being together, from my parents divorcing to moving back to California. Is, to, is, is that, do you think, the start of you doing comedy? Yeah. Eight years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was 15 years old, my parents sat me down and they're like, hey, uh, Chris, and they also brought my sister in. They're like, Chris, Angela, uh, we're, we're going to get a divorce. And these are the steps that are going to happen. And it was really, really weird because, like, I was 13 years old. We lived in California, uh, went to Bret Hart Middle School. And uh, at the end of that, they're like, okay, so we're going to move to Arizona now. And we're going to buy this big-ass house. We're going to have a lot of money because cost of living there is a lot lower than here. And we're like, oh, wow, that really sucks. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Just graduated middle school. And now I'm going to go to high school with a bunch of people I don't even know. Hmm. Go there and they're that could like, be traumatizing. It is because like they, you go there and they're like, okay, forget about your life here because this is gonna be our new life. We're never gonna go back. Don't even, don't even think about California. Like seriously, just forget about it. So we would occasionally go visit and stuff like that and be like, man, this really sucks. But at least we live in Arizona now, and <laughs> made a life there, made a lot of friends. Two years later, hey, you know, what? we're getting divorced. We're gonna move back to California to be closer to family. That's the best <laughs> choice here. And you moved, <laughs> and, uh, you moved with your mom. Uh, yeah. My dad still lives here too, but uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, in San Jose. Do you feel like do you find some similarities there with you and your mother? Like her leaving Palestine behind. It's like you know, take yeah. what you got. You got to yeah. start a new life over Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why I really um, when I first moved back, I didn't make any friends in high school because I was a junior transitioning into high school, and I was like, 
okay, well, I don't know anybody. I'm just going to graduate in two years, so why should I even make friends right now? Why even try? Yeah, exactly. Why even try? And that led to a really shitty high school experience. I was literally eating lunch by myself all of junior year. Didn't have any friends. Problem, my date ditched me. Um, Was really, like, cut off from, like, life itself. Because I was like, what do I do? Like, how do I... How do I really be right now? And don't get me wrong. I still did have friends, but I didn't go to high school with those friends. So, you know, school is a big part of your life. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Just couldn't do it. Mm. That's, that's wow. And throughout this whole process, you're doing theater. Yeah. I'm still in drama. Don't get me wrong. But I have to start over at beginning drama as opposed to advanced drama. And you just boo them away? You're like, oh, I got this. No, the thing is, I auditioned for Advanced Drama, and they're like, we would really like to have you, but we just actually let one person in. Oh. And we and the class is, like, filled. So I had to wait till my senior year to get into drama. You know, I, I did two theater productions in high school. Which ones? My senior years. Which ones? I did uh, a French comedy called The Miser. Okay. And uh, Splendor of the Grass, so American drama. Mm-hmm. And my biggest regret in high school is I wish I got into theater sooner. Mm-hmm. Because I waited till my senior year. It was weird, too, because... Throughout high school, I was in sports, and my senior year, I was like, "Fuck it, fuck sports. I'm just get, I'm gonna try theater, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I want to be film. I fell in love with film. Mm-hmm. And man, it was one of the best experiences I had. And in a lot of ways, it saved my ass because I was pretty depressed in high school. Now, do you see a correlation between people doing theater and people doing like stand up? Of course, it's. I mean, it's the same correlation I see with people doing stand up and priests and preachers. You're you're in the middle. Uh, people's intention, and you're trying to convey a message. Mm-hmm. In our case, it's humor. It's you know. That's kind of funny that you say that because I never put that together and I actually have somebody in my advanced drama class who became a priest. Yeah, I mean, it's a performance. Definitely a performance. Absolutely. I completely believe that. And it's kind of weird because they say the biggest difference between theater actors, improv actors, um, stand-up comics is that improv actors... Improv actors are like the happy guys. The guys who are like, oh man, I'm going to make you laugh because I don't know what I'm going to say. Stand-up <laughs> guys are like, okay, I need to sit here for five hours. I think of the most depressing shit in my life. I think stand-up comedians are like, why the fuck are you so happy, man? Yeah, why Can't you, you see what, what the fuck's going on out there? Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I really couldn't get into improv. I respect the improv. Oh just, yeah, absolutely. I'm not that much of a cheery person. Yeah. Uh, like ben, being able to just come up with shit on the spot. Like, who can, like you saw me like two weeks ago. We did a show in Gilroy. I mentioned that show because yeah. <laughs> it was the oddest thing that happened uh, where a heckler kicked himself out. Yeah, I got a heckler to kick himself out. That was the weirdest shit ever. How did you do it? I don't know. Like, I start doing my set and stuff like that and I go on stage and, like, like anybody who sees me before I go on stage, I am depressed as fuck because yeah. I try and get into it. I'm channeling who yes. I need to be on stage. I'm like, can't be that happy right now. Can't be that happy. Yeah, save here. Save it. Save it. I go on stage. Hey guys, what's up? How's it going? And yeah. I just like I go off with my set and stuff like that. And I start doing my set. The guy starts laughing a little bit, and we just start having a back and forth. And I'm like, Dad, okay, shut the fuck up and stop drinking. And he just like he starts going off. And he's like, huh, blah, blah, blah. And I honestly can't remember what he says. All I remember was, oh fuck, this this line should be on my autobiography. You're funny, but I'm just too drunk to listen to your jokes yes, right now. <laughs> And I was sitting on the side. And I was like, "What the fuck?" Is this? Like, this is the most honest heckler ever. Yeah. Like me, I had a heckler once at the caravan. Yeah. And and I walked out pissed off. The heckler comes out. I was like, "Oh shit, is this shit about to go down?" But no, he comes out and he apologizes to me. That is awesome. But the thing is, that as weird as that was, I find him stranger than your case. This guy at one point was like, "You know what? I'm causing too much trouble to your set." Did you see him out of himself here. at the end of it? Yeah, he was like, "Oh man, I'm too drunk. Oh wait, but I should just stay. No, you should just leave. <laughs> yeah. No, I should stay. I should leave." 
I'm like, dude, this is great. This is like the pussy. That made my night because I was in Gilroy for a film shoot. Yeah, I I saw that. Yeah, And and I hate Gilroy. Mm -hmm. How was that film shoot, by the way? It went pretty good. It was a student production. It was a first-time student, his first Mm -hmm. film, so patience. And it was actually that particular day I got caught in and it was a shoot from, what was it, from 7 to, it was from 5 to like 1 a.m. Okay. Even 2 a.m. Point is, is like at the end of the, like, turned out that they didn't need me at all. And I carpooled what? over there. So I was stranded there for a while. Yeah. So I, I helped them out. I got the crew, like, some coffee and stuff. That's good. Make myself useful. I mean, anything to put yourself on credits and stuff like that, right? Not really. I did this one's more as a favor. Uh, yeah. Uh, look at me. I did it as a favor. I did it as a favor. Uh, no, uh-huh, I, yeah, man, I'll get you guys some coffee the, right now. The, the, the writer and director, he's a friend of mine from SJSU. Okay. And he's like, hey, you want to act? I was like, uh, sure. I usually don't. I, I usually prefer... I, I much rather go for a play mm-hmm. than a film because mm-hmm. I am insecure. <laughs> and with the play, I could, you know, at least there's some distance between me and the audience and I can mm-hmm. exaggerate. Uh, but yeah, the function went okay. We, nice. we, we, we they finished up. You know what really reminded me of theater recently? I saw the movie Unfriended. Have you heard of that movie? Yeah, is, it about, is, it, is the whole thing shot through a it's, webcam? It's really crazy because, like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Okay, for you, for those of you who don't know, Unfriended is a movie about, like, you know, it's that poltergeist thing where, like, oh, man, somebody died, their fucking spirit is haunting you, blah, blah, blah. It's haunting your computer? It's not necessarily haunting your computer, it's this chick who died, and these people who told her to kill herself and filmed her really drunk at a party are getting haunted by her spirit now. Uh, revenge against the cyberbullies. Exactly. Got it. So, um, it's a really fucking eye-opening movie because, like, I mean, it was a really shitty movie. I'm not going to lie. It was really shitty, but... Um, but the concept is interesting. The concept was really cool and the way it was shot was really fucking cool. And the directors need, like, a lot of credit for that. I know it's a Blumhouse movie. Uh, Michael Blumhouse, I, I think that's his name, who did uh, all the paranormal movies and stuff like that. But it was really fucking cool, the concept and the way that it was shot. Because you're watching the movie, and it's all, like, the co-star of the movie, the movie is, like, a MacBook Pro. Uh, because you're watching the MacBook Pro screen the entire time. And the chick's on going... Uh, might win an Oscar Spotify. for Best Supporting Actor. Maybe for uh, lead Spotify, because Spotify was used a lot in that. Was it? And that was really cool to use uh, Spotify to score the movie. Product placement, man. Exactly. Wow. Genius. And, the fun of the whole film. And they sure. go on... Uh, this chick goes on Skype, starts talking with her boyfriend... Um, then she starts talking to her friends and it's literally all in one shot man and they definitely cut it sometimes when they uh, end the Skype call so it is a play it, it is because yeah. like I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'm like did they film all those pieces separately like film them in separate rooms and, like put them all together no they can't because like it was like all on Skype because you could even see like the webcam kind of break up a couple times during the movie and stuff too like it was just such a well shot movie even though it was just all on Skype, it was so interesting. My biggest concern is watch that on the big screen being all grainy. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was super fucked up because like the internet kind of cut out sometimes, and I'm like, oh shit, I kind of feel like my internet's cutting out. <laughs> <hard enough." laughs> but but it got you into the movie, right? It did, yeah. It wow. Totally immersed you into it. And there were definitely like super cheesy movie mo- uh, moments where they're just like uh, the chick's boyfriend like pulls out a knife and stuff like that, and they're oh. skyping right, yeah. and he, and she's like threaten me have me take off my top and he's like take off your fucking top and she's like okay and i'm like what the fuck is like, wrong with through, this? through the webcam exactly and i'm like oh my god uh, like I, is I, this I, what like teenagers not to sound racist but were they white yeah they were totally okay. white yeah and that i'm explains like explains it wow white, white teenagers role play, dude role play to the extreme <laughs> role play to the extreme yeah jesus christ <laughs> and there's a part where she even mentioned she's um um 
there's uh they're talking and stuff like that and she's like don't know my dad's here no he's gonna kill you and the boyfriend messages and he's like uh that's impossible because he's out drinking with my dad and i'm like oh alcoholics awesome nice yeah yeah had some alcoholics in there mm-hmm. uh going back so you did theater and then you got to film in, in high school yeah I, I got into film because um i started um my friends in arizona um were really into film and we weren't into film to begin with we were a bunch of star wars nerds and uh, I met them uh, my freshman year because one of them brought one of those Force FX lightsabers to his school. And I'm like, oh, that's so dope. This guy's fucking Anakin. Oh, my God. And um, Were you geeking out? I was. Over... And, like, we literally, our goals, like, this is when Sharper Image was still open, right? Our goals were to save up enough money each couple months and buy a new Force FX lightsaber. And we would take them apart. We would take the hilts apart from the actual blades, and we learned how to use After Effects ourselves. No tutorials. This is before like YouTube tutorials came out and stuff like that. We downloaded After Effects and we learned how to render all this stuff ourselves, and um, and we started like making lightsaber movies and stuff like that. And we entered in our school film competition, didn't win because like who's gonna vote for like the nerds who do Star Wars movies and stuff, right? We have uh, great effects. People will love the it. effects were really cool. Yeah. But, and, um, and I like how you added it in a genre, lightsaber yeah. movies. Exactly. Like there's a shitload of them? I guess yeah, there is. Well, there actually are. Are like, there? Yeah. What really got us into uh, wanting to do it was there's this movie called Three in the Afternoon. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a it's a short film, but one the, I think, Austin or uh, Houston International Short Film Festival. Hmm. Um, this guy, Travis Bowles, who's a really good, uh, really big Star Wars fan, started the whole trend of making movies with lightsaber effects and stuff like that. And that movie is a really fun watch. Because it's just, it's just about, like, these three normal guys, they find lightsabers, and what would you do if you found a lightsaber in real life? Yeah. And this genre emerged with, like, people, like, making movies. Like, um, there's this one really good one. It's about an hour and a half long. It's on YouTube. It's called To Know a Jedi. And it's about this teenager who's like, man, what would I do if, like, I really created a lightsaber? And he actually goes about, he's, like, this uh, engineering major, and he goes about creating a lightsaber and then realizing that, oh, man even though this stuff in Star Wars is fake, like uh, the Sith and the Jedis, you feel this power consumption by you when you actually have a tool that nobody else has. And it's really cool to see him interact with his friends and stuff like that. They all make lightsabers. And it's a really fun watch for any Star Sounds Wars fans Sounds like it there. was a very thought-out film as It well. really was, yeah. So did your film win the... Uh, no, no not? not at all. Nope. Well, we actually got laughed at for our movie and stuff like that. Why? Because people are like, why would you make something like this? This is before Nerd Dumb was cool. This is before Iron Man came out and these Marvel <laughs> movies started taking over and everybody's like, ah, oh, man, I'm a nerd now. I'm really cool. Uh, I remember in high school, I submitted a film to my high school's film festival. Mm-hmm. What was it about? And... Uh, also dumb. It was like it was like soap opera. It was in Spanish. I think I made it for my Spanish class probably. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put it in the film festival. <laughs> it's about like this guy getting rejected by this chick, so he kills her and her boyfriend. It was super like you so know. It was a comedy. Yeah, it was a comedy. It was. It really was. Uh, it, was it was like like slapstick. Like you know, the guns was like toy guns, and oh, it was man. super dumb. But we, for guns, we couldn't get a hold of a actual gun gun, so we would get Nerf guns and spray paint them black. <laughs> wow, did you ever get in trouble for that? No, never, because we kept um, we would always go out to the desert to shoot, and while we were walking out to the desert to shoot, we would always put these like orange tips on the top of them because legally you can have these things and use them as movie props as long as it's visible that there's an orange tip on it to show that it's fake. Right. Yeah. I once had a. A film I didn't want to make, but I made it anyway, where we had guns, and, like, half of the San Jose PD precinct came out. That is awesome. And it was, like, me, some international student, my younger brother, and some two other 
uh, friends of mine, and we we held up traffic at this one reservoir, and like the big standoff, like they're fake guns, and they had like assault rifles pointing at us. Uh, so ever then, I was like, you know what? I learned my lesson. Every, every time I have a gun on set, I want to make sure you know it looks fake. Yep. Or at least you have some kind of sign saying uh, filming in progress. Because mm-hmm. before, even now, I kind of do like this guerrilla filmmaking style. Mm-hmm. I just like the look of it. Yeah. When, but uh, I, I actually have something similar that kind of happened when I was um. <laughs> fuck, this is so shitty. When I was a junior in high school, um, no, actually, when I was a senior in high school, um, there's this thing called a Socratic seminar that you could do. And what this thing was, was you put in 70 hours of something that you love doing and you, um, you do it and you got this extra band at graduation and it also looked good for colleges and stuff like that too. It looked like an extra elective at the end of it. So, um, I did it and my thing was I wanted to, I wanted to make a short film. I actually made two short films and I wrote a feature length. Oh, you wrote a feature-length screenplay. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's 110 pages. Wow, that's a big accomplishment. And, and you're a high schooler at Senior. this time, yep. Senior. Mm-hmm. Damn, I so, tip my hat off to you because it's people don't realize how hard it is. It is really fucking hard to write a feature. It's hard to even write a short film. I've only written like two. And yeah. They're like both incredibly fucking hard to write. Yeah. Um. But and, yeah, when we were filming our last scene for the short film. It's, um, we, we totally got the inspiration from, remember when The Tonight Show was coming back and Jay Leno had all these awesome ads on TV? There was one where, uh, it's totally, like, first-person point of view in the car. And, um, Jay Leno's like, hey, yeah, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna go to the studio right now and, uh, we're gonna go shoot this promo. And they hit something, and they're like, fuck, shit, damn. Um, and it, Oh, yes, and this, you was remember? The, this was in the movie theaters. Yeah, it was in the movie theaters. Yeah. And they're all, they're all over the studios and they're like, oh, man, what's going on, what's going on? And this cop comes in and... And he's like, hey, can I talk to you guys? And Jay Leno's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he grabs the guy, kidnaps him. They take him out to a reservoir. <laughs> the guy's in a hole digging his own grave. Leno's got a gun on him. And he's like, you grazed a deer and inexplicably hit a pan of red paint. And he's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> we thought that was the funniest thing. My friend Alex and I, we thought that was the funniest thing we've ever seen. And we decided to make something in and of that. And we decided to make this movie called A Day Out. Where it was our 18th birthdays, and um, we wanted to, you know, go to what 18 year olds do go to strip clubs and buy a lot of porn. So we did this, and we hit somebody in, uh, in his used piece of shit car. And he was so nervous because he had just gotten into USF that he didn't want anything to damage anything that was gonna get prevent him from going to college. So. He pulls out a gun in his fucking <laughs> glove compartment. I'm like, is that a fucking gun? He goes out, like, it's behind him, shoots the guy up. We put him in the trunk. And our last scene in the movie is throwing this guy into a reservoir. But the reservoir that was by my house had, like, a giant apartment complex near us. <laughs> so this guy that we have, we threw a bunch of fake blood on him. We threw, like, a garbage bag over him and stuff like that. And we're doing this at the reservoir. And we have a bunch of people coming out on their balcony and start doing because they don't see the camera we didn't have any of the equipment out and they're just like oh my god oh my god and this fucking van rolls by just looking at us and we literally have to go out to the car and we're like no no we're just filming we're just filming don't worry this isn't real and we just saw a lot of people just start laughing and a lot of people were really concerned at the same time because they're like why are they doing this <laughs> why would someone do this exactly yeah for hey that Signs are very important. Yes. So yeah, any feature filmmakers are... use a sign saying filming in progress. Know. The more, the more you know, you know. signs are important. Oh, and uh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, filmmaking. Film- High school. Oh um, timelines. Timelines? 
Oh, you probably uh, so you had a class where you dedicate seventy hundred hours, and it wasn't even a class. It's it's interesting. It was, it it's was like a, taking that concept of ten thousand hours. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. I'm glad but, you brought that up. But and, and you and they minimize it to uh, a curriculum. Hours. Yeah, that's fascinating. But it's not even a class. You sign up for this at the beginning of senior year. Oh, it's, it's it, on your own time. Exactly, it's on wow. your own time. It's seventy hours of your own time that you put into something that you love doing. And you do it, you get an extra elective credit. Said again, it looks better on colleges and stuff like that. And then you get an extra band at graduation. And um, and if you don't do it, it just doesn't do anything. And since what's really awesome is since then, my high school has stopped doing that. Why? They don't they don't do the Socratic seminar anymore because of budget cuts. Oh, that's, that's, that's such a great program. It's such a great concept, right? Right, it is. And it's like, it's in Arizona, right? No, it was actually here. My It was what? my senior year of high school. And what's really funny is... Um, We're in I the Bay Area. You, I heard you bring up on the last podcast with Curtis, uh, what high school do you go to? I went to Pioneer High School. And you want to know who else went to Pioneer High School? Who? Kevin Pollack. Because he, he started... Not familiar with Kevin. Kevin, you don't know who Kevin Pollack is? Kevin Pollack? With everything that you're doing, you don't know who the fuck Kevin Pollack is? Are you serious, dude? Enlighten me. Who's Kevin Pollack? Oh, my God. Kevin Pollack is a stand-up comedian, actor, director. He started in San Jose, San Francisco, doing stand-up. What's his, what's his work? Um, he did this amazing short film called Our Time Is Up. That That's how I got into, into him, at least. Um, I actually just found out this recently that he's from San Jose and that he went to my high school and everything like that. Uh, See, so you just found out. No, I, so I, like a year ago. Fuck you, man. <laughs> no, but um, don't give me shit he, for not knowing. You didn't know a year ago. He actually just did. He directed a really awesome movie called um, um, uh, motherfucker. What's it called? Uh, is it called a motherfucker? No, it's not called motherfucker. I really wish I knew what it was called. Um, oh my god, I just had it. But he's uh, a big deal. He's a really big deal. And his movie's all about stand-up. Wait a minute, we're in the fucking 21st century. Let me bring up my phone. Let me find this shit out. Well, um, the only thing I can... Like, I went to De Anza. Yeah, me too. And you, did, you went to De Anza. Oh, yeah, dude. De Anza took, alum. Yeah. And I know that uh, the guy that made the Underworld series went to De Anza. Did he really? Yes. My um, He's from Fremont. Wow. How do you not know that? I'm going to give you shit for not knowing... Hold on. Let me, this is the movie name. Len Wiseman. Len Wiseman. Oh, shit. Len, Len Wiseman went to De Anza? Yeah. He he was from Fremont, and then he went to De Anza. Damn. And then he went to do Underworld and, mm-hmm. you know, all these other films. And My friends... um, Actually, no. The middle school that I went to, Bret Hart, the creative Rocco's Modern Life went there. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 The, that, the guy so also went you. to De Anza. Fuck you. That guy also went to De Anza. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is the name of the movie uh, that Kevin Pollack did. It's called Misery Loves Comedy. Oh, I heard about it. It's yeah, a new one. It is. It's a documentary that he just entered into, and Tribeca picked it up. Sorry, I didn't know him. Excuse me. <laughs> no, no, no. Again. He's been doing stand-up. But the thing is, like, how, like back, when do you know he was doing stand-up here in San Jose? He started doing stand-up when he was, like, 18. How old is he now? Fuck. Probably, like, in his 50s. Okay, so it was like Wait, let me the see. comedy scene in San Jose it's probably definitely was, changed. was yeah. probably almost non-existent. Yeah, so he, he was born in 57, so yeah. yeah, he's, almost he's probably more well-known like an SF or something, and just like most SJ. Possibly, but I mean, like he's brought up performing over at Rooster Tea Feathers and stuff like that. That's true. Yeah, dude, oh my God, it was the best. When my, uh, when my psychology teacher in high school found out that I was doing stand-up for my sister who was still going to that school, he was just like, oh man, you know, I used to be a bouncer there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, that's awesome to think back to a time where like clubs had bouncers. <laughs> have you seen um? Have you seen? Do you listen to Adam Carolla's podcast at all? 
Adam Crow. Uh, sometimes I like his. Have podcast. you seen yeah. his movie called Road Hard? Road Hard. Yeah, it's all about um. Again, it's a stand-up movie. Um, he just goes on the road and does stand-up, and it's not him; it's his character, Bruce, in the movie. Um, and it's about a comedian who does stand-up and had a show like the Man Show that he did, and um, how life is after all the fame and success and stuff like that. So it's a fictional version of himself. Exactly. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah, it really is. Because, like, there was a really awesome moment where he's in a bar talking to this chick. And um, he's like, where do I know you from? She's like, guess. And then there's a part where he's like, Rooster Tea Feathers, San Francisco. And I'm like, Sunnyvale, motherfucker. It's in Sunnyvale. You know, there's something about in Barry in general. Like, they're trying to, you know, make almost Silicon Valley non-existent for entertainment. And that's really weird, don't you think? I, I think so. Why do you think that is, though? I feel like it's because everybody knows San Francisco. You say, oh, yeah, California, Sacramento, San Francisco, Tahoe, even. They know like, San Francisco, ever... Oakland. Oakland, too. Oakland. Even Santa Cruz has a bigger... Uh... Santa Cruz does because of the beach and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And, and Oak... they shot the Lost Boys there and shit. Exactly. And Oakland, a lot of people know for um, Fruitvale Station. I think they knew Oakland even before that for that... the high crime rates. Absolutely. But <laughs> you know what's really weird? Oakland is not that ghetto anymore. Uh, it depends what part. Depends. I, it definitely depends. I, I, what I part. lived in North Oakland for a bit, and mm-hmm. I loved it because it, it was just right next to Berkeley. Yeah. But there's some parts where it's pretty sketchy. Yeah, I believe that it's really sketchy in some parts. But I mean, like, it's become really hipster. Oh, gentrification or that shit. Is that Absolutely. what you're implying? Uh, or is that just of, me? But I don't know what gentrification means, so I don't want to say that. For me, it means white people moving in, in into yes. a poor neighborhood. Yes, <laughs> but what it actually, said. but it actually doesn't really mean that. It means like uh, people with a higher income are going to lower income. Yep. Uh, neighborhoods and kind of buying it out. It kind of reminds me of um, the one episode of King of the Hill. Where do you watch King of the Hill? Uh, the as a kid, yes. As a There's kid. fuck you, man. Don't make me feel bad about this. Why? Because <laughs> I watched it when I was like a teenager. Um, he, um, Hank, uh, Hank's wife, it becomes a real estate agent, right? And she's trying to sell all these houses, like all these high skill people. And she finds out the market is to sell really ghetto houses to really hipster people. <laughs> Yeah. So that they can buy it and be like, hey, ombre. Yeah. <laughs> but the big preacher in the Bay Area, it seems like in San Jose, a comedian does well in San Jose. Yep. He's bound to move up to SF or Oakland. Yeah. Maybe the opportunities are bigger over there. I don't know. But I mean, with a commute, like you don't necessarily have to move. That's the thing. San Jose, I feel like has become really overpriced. And we're going to see a lot more comedians rise out of like places like Oakland because it's a lot more affordable. And even you mentioned people going up to San Francisco. Again, San Francisco is really fucking expensive to live there. Yeah, I heard there's an exodus right now in San Francisco of comedians moving to Oakland. Yeah, like, I believe it. Not many comics. And it sucks even more because a lot of them don't have cars, apparently. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, a lot of comedians. Literally, you see a lot of comedians coming by BART, by Light Rail, by, um, by anything like that. It was really funny. Um, my girlfriend, uh, she's from Oakland. And um, she, uh, I took her by, I took her to San Jose. And she's like the fuck is that above ground train <laughs> and I'm she's like, never been to San Jose she's never been to San Jose and, I, and I, she I, lived in Oakland all her life yeah see what how's that yeah. possible and she, she's, she's known about Caltrain she has not known about light rail and I'm like babe that's couch that's a uh, light rail that can't that's VTA that's VTA woman woman what a so even then uh, it's not a lot of comics come down here do they not necessarily, and I've done, I do brainwash a lot, well, try to do brainwash a lot. I've not done brainwash yet. It's so much fun, man. It's so much fun. And whenever, 
whenever I'm up there, they're like, oh, yeah, well, Mike's you hitting up. I'm like, you know, a bunch of San Jose, maybe, like, Tommy T's occasionally. And they're like, oh, man, got to get down to San Jose, got to get down to San Jose. And I'm like, why don't you come down to San Jose? There's so many mics going on every night. Yeah, I heard uh, up through the grapevine that now more than ever, there's a lot of mics mm-hmm. in San Jose. Yeah, and I believe it. And it's all thanks to guys like like you, like Victor oh, Cruz Perez, you. like Pete Munoz, who put together these awesome shows and make these mics last. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Atu too. Atu. Atu, oh yeah, At, Mr. Walker. Atu Mr. Walker. Walker. Yep. Man, that guy's awesome. Atu actually, I think this might be his second or third one, Caravan. Because I remember when I started, I hit up the Brit. Mm-hmm. Remember? Do you remember doing comedy over the Britannia Arms? No, I, I, I was not doing comedy at the time. Oh, you weren't doing comedy at the no. time? Oh man, dude. I um, that Those were some good times. And I actually, that was one of my favorite mics to do. And I ended up getting kicked out of there because I wasn't 21. That sucks. Yep. Uh, and uh, going back to comedy. So you started doing co- comedy out of high school. You mm-hmm. were in college. You went yeah. at Deanza, I assume? Yeah, Deanza. And then, you know you, you? and then you're like, so what would you go, you know what, I'm going to do stand-up. Because it. you had, at this point, you were doing film, you were doing theater. Trying to do film. and um, Tried to. What happened there? Well, I mean, I think about it, dude. You're in college. Like, you don't, like, my biggest thing with film was I wanted to go into it I wanted to be in it I wanted to go to film school I wanted to actually go to LAFA uh, Los Angeles Film Academy because like I heard um, uh, not necessarily a lot of people make it from there but the quality that they give you for what you're doing in film like all the equipment they give you hands on uh, the people who they put you in connections with is really awesome and I wanted to go there and um, my mom said okay you know what you warned me down if you get your business degree from De Anza, you can go there because I wasn't paying for college at this time. She was. And um, <laughs> what I found out was um, that wasn't going to happen. So I decided, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm not even going to major in what she wants me to major in. So film kind of fell by the wayside because I didn't go to film school. And I felt like at the time um, you have to at least go to film school for a little bit to be or at least take film classes to be a filmmaker. And my biggest hero in that is Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith has yes. literally inspired me to do a lot of the things that I have done. I met him a couple times. And he's a really awesome person. And yeah. I'm a film major. Yeah. Even now, even Danza at Transfer Sounds State. So I'm yeah. still a film major. And I've, I've been doing it a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know what, dude? Film school, the only thing film school is really good for is networking. Yeah. And, and uh, you know what? Kevin I'm- Smith is a great proponent that if you got, you know, a great story mm-hmm. and you got people to believe in your story. Yep. You can get a film done. Absolutely. And the thing is, passion is what you really have to exactly. keep with it. If you don't keep the passion for whatever project you're doing, it's not going to be as good. As it. It's not going to be as watchable because you can tell the person didn't put their heart into this. And a lot of films are really obvious of that. And I didn't want to be that kind of person who uh, makes something. And to study different. film, we don't really need a class. I mean, it's, it's bad me saying this being in film school right now. No, it's not But at but, all. but But the truth like, is... Like, looking back on it, you, you have, don't have... You, you, yeah, go on. Is just... Study the films that you love. You want to know what's really Study weird? the structure of, mm-hmm. of storytelling. Watch movies. A lot of film people will tell you, no, don't watch movies. Make something original. But watch movies. No. Watch the process. See, make, watch how everything is made step by step. Exactly. And, and if there's a way to get on a film set, do it. Yeah. Because you learn a lot. But the thing is, before you break the rules, you got to know the rules. You have to, yeah. And and that goes beyond film. That goes in everything. In comedy, stand-up. Absolutely. you got to respect the craft. you got to mm-hmm. learn the rules of the craft before you start, you know doing your own thing and to even say there are rules kind of makes it sound like it's a chore because like oh man there are rules to this but no it, it's, it's not like rule, it's more principles rules. it's morals I guess you could say morals yeah yeah that's one way of looking at it 
we talked about connections a little bit earlier. I feel like film school is great for that to make connections and stuff like that. But it's also about like going to certain events. Like I made a lot of the connections that I have in film right now from going to Kevin Smith Q and A's and meeting people that he's actually worked with. Wow. See, that's great. Yeah, it's good stuff. But however, at this point, Deanza, you're like, you know what, film not working out, business not working out, just, school not working out. <laughs> so I'm gonna get into stand up. You know, I I thought to myself, I need to do something to to make me happy because I wasn't acting, I wasn't doing anything, and I thought, hey, you know, I've always been the fat, funny guy in my group. I might as well try being fat and funny on stage, and I did it, and that's a really awful way to go into it, thinking that. But after doing it for like a certain amount of time, I realized I'm more than just that. I'm somebody who is able to write. I'm able to come up with stuff. I'm able to cognitively think, okay, if I say A, B, and C, will D hit a strong? That's beautiful. You came in with self-deprecation. You're coming out of it of, as a stronger person with actual things to say. Exactly. And that's the beauty of it. And when you go into stand-up, you always think, okay, well, my heroes are guys like Chris Rock, like Dave Chappelle, um, like Judd Apatow. Guys well, who like- are your heroes? Dave Chappelle, Judd Apatow, Louis C.K., a lot more to name, but honestly, um, for stand-up, Dave Chappelle definitely, because I, actually, you know what, I'm going to say Dave Chappelle and Robin Williams, like top two for inspiration, I'll tell you why. Dave Chappelle first, when I was 12 years old, I sat down and watched a little thing called Chappelle Show. Chappelle Show. Chappelle Show. And I just laughed so hard at everything that he was saying, and I got it. I got it. Everything he was saying, I got all the references. And when I would go to school and be like, guys, you got to watch Chappelle Show. They're like, my parents don't let me watch that, dude. I don't really get it. I'm like, oh, but it's so funny. And then when when you hit high school or even college even, and people start re-watching that for nostalgia purposes because, like, they heard about it. They're like, man, this is so funny. I don't get why this guy quit. It's so amazing to, to hear that. Because Dave Chappelle is one of the, in my opinion, one of the funniest comedians to ever live. One of them. And the fact that he made such an imprint on not necessarily the world, but just me, I, I love it. Because it's really hard to do that, to have somebody come into your life, not necessarily come into your life, but come into your life via television and put such an imprint on you, put a stamp on your head and be like, you're going to be a comedian. is awesome. So what gave, what gave you the final push of, you know what, I'm going on stage? The final push. The final push. Well, before I do that, let me get my whole Robin Williams thing. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. My bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I was <laughs> when I was seventeen, going on eighteen, still didn't have my license, and I knew I needed a car. I knew I needed my license to go to college and stuff like that. Um, so got my license, and I had a really shitty car. I had a not necessarily shitty. It was really fun. It was a ninety four Honda Civic. And That's a pretty shitty car. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a comedy it, it car. Was. And, it's and a comedy car. It, to make it even yeah. worse, it had 250,000 miles on it. Oh, I bought man. It. Yeah, and I used all my graduation money to buy it, too, which was... Uh, but your first car's always like that, though. Yeah, it's got to be like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did not have a CD player in that, um, and I ended up going to Goodwill to get a bunch of cassettes. Did not get a bunch of cassettes. The only cassette I found was Robin Williams live at the Metropolitan, Metropolitan Opera House. Or much problem theater. I, I forgot which one it is. Live at the Met. And hearing him and everything that he said, the way that he said it gives me gave me such imagery in my head. Whenever I would drive around, listen to it, and just hearing him it like go on his whole uh, being an alcoholic and uh, meeting up with guys who smoke weed is such a funny bit. Because you can hear somebody say that on stage and be like, oh, yeah, my friend smoked weed and this happened, this happened. But to hear him go into, oh, man, uh, you get pulled over by a cop. The cop, um, 
<laughs> the cop uh, rolls on you rolled on your window for the cop uh, a big puff of smoke walks in the cop uh, cop's face and he says oh man I'm kind of tired now and then hearing him go on about that is so fucking funny like the fact that like he's able to portray that to be that person to again put a stamp on the world and put a stamp on me and say okay this is something that you want to do go do it because Robin Williams is somebody who's also from the Bay Area. He's from San Francisco. Uh, lived in Marin County. Marin County, I think. The last I know that's where he life. died. Yep. Yep. Rest in peace. And, you know, he, he was always a hero of mine. Somebody who I always looked up to. And I had a breakfast with Jimmy Gunn. You know no Jim- way. Yeah. Jimmy Gunn. Jimmy Gunn. The filmmaker. No, no, no. The comedian. Oh, sorry. Who am I thinking of? The guy that made guys James Gunn. James Gunn. Yeah, Jimmy Gunn. James Gunn. <laughs> so who's Jimmy? You know what? Who is Jimmy Gunn? I hear all the you Jimmy Gunn Jimmy awards. Gunn. Oh man, dude, Jimmy Gunn is like one of the funniest guys in the Bay Area. Like he, um, I did the Rooster Teeth competition when again when I was like eighteen going on nineteen, um, and I saw him close. He closed it out, headlined, whatever you want to call it, and he fucking murdered. He killed hardcore. And when I got home and I told my family about Jimmy Gunn, one of my dad's cousins was like oh man i remember seeing that guy over the gaslight in like the 80s or 90s in gilroy that guy was so funny and just hearing how like far back he dates and stuff like that anyways um he yeah big hero of mine in the bay area jimmy big hero yeah he is just one of these guys who's been working so i had this breakfast with him and he started talking about a san francisco comedy competition san francisco comedy competition really just like amazing way to be like okay I feel like I'm I'm a certain amount of funny. I'm gonna do this. He told me a story about two people. I'm gonna just wrap it up in like a blank, uh, wrap it up in a bow for these two people. Margaret Cho, Margaret, you know, Cho. Mar- Margaret yes. Cho, San Jose, uh, really really big person right now. Um, she did the San Francisco comedy competition in the early '90s, and surprise, she came in dead last. Didn't place, didn't didn't move on, anything like that. She came in dead last. And to see her being so big right now is amazing. To see how far she's come and stuff like that. Not necessarily how far she's come, because I'm sure she was a really funny comic. But it's one of those things where, like, there are other people who are doing comedy. Maybe there were people who brought people to laugh at them. Maybe there were people who uh, had an in with the judges, just stuff like that, just different politics. But just to hear that, like, a person, like, came in last place who was, like, so big right now. And so, like, who's come so far is awesome. Yeah, I think that's true for the entertainment field. It's, like, it's not about being the most talented. It's about being the hardest worker. Big example of that was Robin Williams, too. Yeah. Robin Williams came in second or third place. Didn't even place first. And the person who did place first doesn't even do comedy anymore. Never made it past that competition. Never did anything past that. It's all about that hustle that strive that what like you're doing yeah but I don't, I don't enroll in competitions yet I don't no, think I'm that it's, it's not about, <laughs> level it, yet no but it's not even about doing competitions it's about believing that what you're doing is something that you want to do for the future so you're going to start planting the seeds right now so that when you're in the future you have this beautiful flower that you can be like okay I made that and I'm going to live with it so what's driving you right now a lot really a lot um, so I got my AA from De Anza. And never Me too. Past I got it back there somewhere. What? 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 Uh, Deanza AA. AA for the win, underachievers. Um, <laughs> I uh, I got my degree from Deanza. And what did you get your AA on? 
God, I can't even remember. All I know is my major was psych, and they gave me the closest thing to that in there. Oh, some liberal arts? Yeah. yeah. Something, same something here. Like same here. <laughs> I, got, I got liberal arts in film production. Oh, man, dude, that's awesome. I got liberal arts in psychology, I guess. Oh, you're a brain ninja. Yep, brain ninja to the extreme. Oh, fuck you. So you got your A. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I have a job right now, working 40 hours a week, Um, and it, it's just that drive, dude. It's, it's seeing all these people who are big or the people who are making like Moshe Kasher who is like blowing up really big right now that guy's from Oakland that guy is and that guy's really funny yeah he is yeah and I want to do that I want to be one of those people who can not only like quote unquote make it because everybody has their own way to define making it Dave Chappelle's was his dad telling him you have to make a goal for yourself once you make that goal once you hit that amount just get out because after that, it's all work. It's not what you want to do. And that's a really great philosophy, but it's not for everybody. Hmm. Mine is that I want to be an inspiration. I want to be like one of these guys that I look up to. And I want to, I want to not necessarily mentor somebody, but I want to, I want to be able to be that person that people are like, you know what? I'm going to fucking try right now. Based watching you. Yeah. And not even watching me. Maybe like, whether it be from comedy, whether it be from something that I wrote, because I also write on a website, movie pilot. Oh, really? That's a pretty big website. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was really weird. They tweeted me one day, and they were like, hey, we really like your Twitter. Um, do you want to write for our site? And I'm like, uh, I got to think about it for a little bit. <laughs> and I, I honestly did, because that's, that's another thing to just like put onto my schedule, like from comedy, from writing, from work. Now I have to write for this website. It, it's, it's And you write film reviews? Uh, not necessarily film reviews. I, uh, I write stuff about... <sighs> I hate it, dude. It's been like so long since I wrote an article. I think it's been like a month. So it's like Last a blog, year. kind of. It's it's more of um, yeah, kind. Of, it's yeah, it's kind of like a blog. It's um, my last article was about the Fantastic Four, and how that could literally redefine the way that we look at superhero movies. Because there are two ways that it can go. It can either go really well, and since Fox owns the property, they can make a bunch of sequels. They can make an X Men spinoff uh, with. Fantastic Four and X-Men they can have a TV show on Fox they can uh, do a bunch of different things but then if it fails you have to they have to think to themselves okay well we just gave Daredevil back to Marvel and that did really really well what if we give Fantastic Four back to Marvel because Marvel dude um, I don't know if you're into the so whole comic are, book movie are you thing, counting them to fail if that's the case you know I'm I'm kind of indifferent because I've seen the trailers and I feel like Josh Trank is a really really good department good director i like got into his work from chronicle mm-hmm. and i thought it was a really very very that's a good movie. film it is yeah totally first person and I, th- I think it's really great um but i'm i'm honestly really indifferent right now because fox did really really well with the x-men series uh and they did really good at retconning in two <laughs> with the uh, days of future past and i feel like x-men did uh, x-men apocalypse is gonna be very well as well um but with fantastic four honestly if it goes back to Marvel, that'd be awesome. But if it stays with Fox, hey, they're gonna do a really good job with it because they've already they already have a launching platform. So it's a win-win. Yeah, it's a win-win. Exactly. But again, it's gonna redefine it because, um, because then we're gonna see a bunch of comic book properties maybe being like the interim of like where they should be. Because what if Fox gives Fantastic Four back to Marvel, but they keep characters like Galactus and Silver Surfer? Because they own the rights in particular for those two characters, and that's why Marvel can't incorporate Galactus or Silver Surfer into their any of their movies. 
that was that was really fucking nerdy right there. <laughs> it was, but but at the same time, I want to ask: do you, do you sometimes worry that perhaps the the film industry is being saturated by comic book Absolutely. material? Absolutely. The fact that Marvel came out and they said, "Okay, we're gonna have movies up to the year 2026." I thought to myself, "Am I really gonna still be into those movies by then?" Like, are they still going to have an audience? Well, of course, they're still going to have an audience. But it, but with oversaturation, are people still going to be interested in those superhero movies? Or is it going to be, like, nostalgia? Like, oh, yeah, I'll go see, uh, I'll go see like, Iron Man 7 because I watched it when I was a kid. So you believe they'll be forgettable? No, no, I, I'm not saying it's going to be forgettable. I'm, what I'm saying is I, I feel like superhero movies in and of itself have come so far to the point where Dark Knight almost won, like, an Academy Award, right? Yeah. Like, movies like that are incredible, but the superhero genre in and of itself is striving right now. It's in its giant hall. We just had Avengers 2. Daredevil was amazing, the miniseries. So, I mean, it's all uphill from here. But, you know, one crack in the armor, one crack in the armor and people see God cry, it's all downhill. It's all downhill. How does downhill look like? It looks like Marvel losing a lot of credibility to the point where, like, not necessarily closing their universe, but maybe making a lot more safer decisions. Like, um, like I'm when, just worried about all getting convoluted because there's so many universes. There's the TV universe, there's the mm-hmm. film universe, then there's the reboot universes. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, wh- why should I even fucking care? You know, exactly. And, like, that's the big question. Why should I care? And Marvel's giving you a reason right now to care because all their universes are interconnected. Mm-hmm. And to the fact that we're like in Daredevil, you hear them say, oh, yeah, the incident, the New York incident. And that's what happened in fucking Avengers. It's the incident they're talking about because Daredevil is a show that takes place in Hell's Kitchen, New York, right? And um, it's all about uh, Matt Murdock. He's a lawyer by day, Daredevil by night. And um, he. the big thing is, how are we going to save this city on the ground level as opposed to this giant, like, like universe where, like, the Avengers take care Which of it? Which makes sense because he's in Hell's Kitchen. That's in the slums. Exactly. And they did a really well job, really, really good job of doing that series. And I have to give it up for Drew, Drew Goodard, who uh, established that universe in and of itself. Drew Goodard, I don't know if you guys know, um, he was actually supposed to take charge of the Spider-Man movies. But, you know, that whole thing collapsed because of Sony and Marvel. So, yeah. I I think Sam Raimi's Spider-Mans are pretty good. Spider-Man cool. 2 is one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time. Sam Raimi, that guy. Sam Raimi, he's actually he's doing the Poltergeist movie. Yeah, which that's why I'm not too worried about it because yeah. it's Sam Raimi. I mean, that's Sam Raimi. Even if it's bad, even if it gets really bad reviews, it's still gonna be a very interesting movie. Did you see that movie, uh, Oz the Great and the Powerful? Oz the Great and the Powerful. Oz the Great and the Powerful. I have not. Why? Why not? Because it was it. Uh, it was uh, like a prequel to Wizard of Oz, but Sam Raimi directed that. Right. Who's the main lead? I, James Franco. James, who's from Palo Alto? Yeah, James Franco, James also from Palo Alto. Oh, but, uh, it came out in that phase where. Where James Franco saturated everywhere, and I just got annoyed by his face. I was like, "No, I'm not gonna watch the movie based because James Franco's staring." At me. But now I can go back and I was like, "Oh, check it out." It's it's a really interesting movie because you watch it and you're like, "Okay, um, as a movie in and of itself, I don't think I would watch this." But because of the fact that Sam Raimi did this, and there are so many Sam Raimiisms in this movie, you have to watch it. Yeah, like there's a part where like the guy has his own style. Exactly, like it's like just, Peter Jackson's own style. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, and you just see that, and you're like, wow, he he put his own stamp on this. He put his stamp on like the Wizard of Oz universe to be like this. No, this is the Sam Raimi universe. Let's bring it down to you. What what kind of films you're more interested in making? Really down to earth movies. What movies. do you mean by that? Um, 
kind of movies where you where you think to yourself and you're like, okay, well, I watched that and I took something away from it. I guess what I'm asking for is a sense of uh, genre or a sense of oh um, of narrative. You know, it's really weird. Um, those people who are like really good at comedy or really good at writing drama too. Those people who are really good at drama kind of have have a hard time uh, writing comedy. And I feel like I fall in between that because I've been through a lot of drama and stuff like that. Uh, not necessarily just my parents' divorce, but a lot of other stuff that's happened in my life. That it's kind of hard for me to write comedy. I'm the same fucking way. I cannot write a comedy film. And it's fucking I, hard. Even I do stand-up, and I can't do a I can write film. the most depressing monologue for you. But if you're like, I need you to write five jokes for the scene. Nope. Can't do it. Nope. <laughs> that's your job. <laughs> that's your job. <laughs> Okay, so you're more into like drama, dramatic films, more of. Uh... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. I will watch. I'll watch like a dramatic film over a comedy film any day of the week. Who are some of your influences in film? Uh, again, Kevin Smith, big guy right there. Not not because he's fat, but a uh, really big influence. Um, <laughs> uh, him, John Apatow, definitely Apatow, because have you heard of Apatow's story? I do. I know about Apatow. I, I love a, a lot of his works, but I feel for Judd Apatow, you kind of have to get into that comedy world to get it. Because I hear a lot of complaints of people who don't like his films. Yeah. And in my opinion, it's because they don't really. One, you know, I know a job. I'm already biased because I know the way his comedy. I know his stand up. Mm-hmm. But you know, he he's definitely a comedian's comedian. Like like I get it. Like the struggles of uh, of yep. the one film by uh, what's his name, uh, Adam Sandler. Oh, funny uh, people. Funny people. Yep. Which is it's a, not. It's not like flat out hilarious, but it's funny and it's like to comedians. When exactly. You, when you like, I saw the movie for the first time when I was like 17, 18 years old. I watched it. I'm like, wow, that was a real piece of shit. And then I went back and watched it as a comedian. I'm like, oh my god, I could so relate to this. Not not the whole making it and being really rich and famous, but I I kind of see myself in this. Yeah. So for Jared Apatow, I feel like you got to be in a certain mindset to really appreciate his films. You do. You really do. Like, uh, take for instance, this is forty. I didn't think it was great, but my mom loved it. Because it's about that whole thing of being that age and knowing those steps that they go through and just growing up, man. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is he writes what he knows just like what you're doing. You're writing what you know mm-hmm. about these struggles. Yeah. And um, so you keep film and comedy separated for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to, to an extent. Like, I mean, I still like I try and film my sets all the time. Just to watch How do you do that? I cannot watch myself doing oh, stand-up. It's so hard, man. I, it is so did hard. Did you start doing that off the bat, or how long were you doing stand-up? You know, I started doing that, and it was a really big mistake. To do it off the bat? Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> because when you do it off the bat, you get so nervous on stage. That you, that, like, at least I did. I'm not going to say other people did. Um, that you start using, like, jokes that you hear and stuff like that. That's a really big no-no in the comedy community. Well, using jokes that are not yours? Yeah. Yeah, that's stealing. That's stealing. That's exactly. Hacking. So putting those online and being like, "Ha ha, check it out!" Like, oh, really so you were recording other people's sets? No, 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 I was no, no, I was recording my set, but but you were like, using their I, material. Say if I was listening, no, 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 I was listening to say if I was listening to Pandora that day. Yeah, and heard Daniel Tosh bit. Yeah, I would try and incorporate that in my set to be like, "Oh man, I need to get laughs in and front of a live it, audience." In front of a live audience. So you would have done anything for laughs? Yeah, when I was starting in it, because I didn't know how to write jokes. Who the fuck knows how to write jokes when they first get into it? You start off and you're like, okay, I'm going to tell this story and you don't get any laughs. You're so nervous on stage. At least I was. I'm not saying anybody else would do this. I think that's pretty common among new people. Really? Now that I'm thinking about it. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 t- I talked about it shortly before where people, when they first start doing comedy, they like, they emulate what they think a stand-up comedian is. Yeah. A lot of times they emulate the people they like. 
And it's all about go- coming from drama too. Like when you come from theater, you have a script in front of you. You know what you're going to say. Stand up. Fuck you. You're on your own, dude. How much shit did you get for it? Oh, I got a lot, dude. I got so much shit. Oh my god. For the like to the point where I had a friend at the time who uh, we would go to mics all the time and stuff like that, and he was just sick of me doing it to the point where he put it in the Bay Area Comedy Network, and it became this big thing. And I'm sure people still remember it and stuff like that. And uh, I just felt like shit. And ever since then, like I've never, I make sure not to do. It. If somebody like Victor will do this to me, he'll um, like I had this joke about like Wolverine being gay in the X Men, yeah. and Kevin Smith has a bit in one of his Q and A's about how the X Men is a gay parable, and he told me, hey dude, I feel like that's a Kevin Smith thing, and I'm like, okay, not doing it anymore on stage. So you're a lot more. You're looking out for that more. Exactly. I'm no, dude. I like. I will literally cut an entire bit out of my set, and just make a new one. So, so you're, if I hear you were you were ostracized from the comedian network for this. Big and, time. And man, that must you must it must have hit hard, dude. It did. Like how, how much in comedy were you doing? Were, were you I, I honestly wasn't even. It was that point where again I was like not necessarily um, doing mics a lot too. I wasn't. And he just felt like it was like very, very disrespectful. And in hindsight, it very, it really is. It's really disrespectful because I've seen somebody on stage do one of my bits, and I'm like, wow, that that really fucking hurts. That's like a stab to the back. That really happened to you? Yeah, that really happened to me. Not gonna name names, but it was a joke that I had literally written that day, and he was with me when I wrote it. He went on stage before me and he did that joke. Oh shit! That's yeah. a, see, that's my biggest fear. For I, my biggest fear is a accidentally saying someone else's joke accidentally. Mm-hmm. Right, I have that yeah. same fear. I have that same fear of like, yeah, fuck, is this original? Do people, you know, is it, and like, there's sometimes I write jokes and I find out later that someone else does it, and I was like, fuck it, I can't risk. And my second fear is someone stealing my jokes mm-hmm. and being sex and being funnier than me in my own joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why I get really paranoid whenever I get invited to writing events and stuff like that. I'm like, I kind of don't want to do that because I don't think how that's even done. Writing events for, for stand up comedy, I don't yeah. fully because there's so many ideas floating around the room that. Like maybe down the line you don't necessarily remember that you wrote it with somebody, but you're gonna do that joke on stage, and somebody might say, "Oh yeah, that was a very similar bit to somebody else." So what's your process now? My process now is literally taking from my own daily life every day, taking from my life and being like, "Okay, was this funny? Was this funny? This is funny." To the point where I'll record myself when I'm driving home from work and talk about my day, and then from that I'll write a joke about it. Wow, fascinating. Yeah, and I even take like from my daily life and like being Palestinian. I really like I've cut out all this um, I'm not going to say all the pop culture stuff because I still have jokes about pop culture but I do a lot of material if you watch my set about my family because again it's a very very closed off thing where like not a lot of like there are not a lot of like very very big Palestinian comedians who you hear about or know about yeah the only big one I know is Obidala Obidala's big um, uh, Samuel Bade half Palestinian half Lebanese um, but the point is that you, you incorporate your Palestinian ethnicity mm-hmm. into your comedy. Yeah, and I feel like that's something, like, if you try to steal that, I'm going to know you fucking stole it. Because you're not even Palestinian, fucker. Uh, yeah, you're not even fucking Palestinian. <laughs> <laughs> and, do you feel comedy... How big is the Palestinian community here? It's very big. Very big. It's very big to the point where there are, like, there are centers here for Palestinian people to go hang out. Have you performed in front of a Palestinian crowd? Oh, yeah. I did this one show in October called Live at the Gaza Strip. It was nice. Uh, yeah, it was uh, me and like a bunch of other Middle Eastern comedians. A lot of them came from LA, and we just did a show with improv. And do you feel like the the sense of humor is a little different it culturally? Is, it's very different because um, Arabic people will laugh at 
a lot of stuff that they can relate to. Like, if I went on stage and did a joke about Arabic food, no white people would laugh. Like, at all. So, when I'm in front of that Arabic crowd, I can do a joke about how long it takes my tata to make a lot of food for our dinner, and they'll laugh. Right. Whereas... Because it take a long time. Exactly. So, um... When I'm in front of a white crowd, I kind of have to dumb it down a little bit to the point where I'll only do like, well, not only do, well, but I'll do a lot of one-liners right. so that I get a lot of laughs and still do the same joke. Got it. That's fascinating, man. All right, man. Uh, we're at the one-hour mark. We're closing it up. Oh, snap. Really? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, do I, I feel like I can go like, wow, it's not like Manny Pacquiao. Is there any any plugins right now? Is there any upcoming uh, shows? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, June 21st. Actually, I have two really big shows coming up. May 16th, come out to the Underground uh, PwC in uh, Redwood City. We're having a really big show for the podcast, uh, Here's Why That's Funny. They're doing a big show uh, with all the comedians that have been on the show. It's really going to be awesome. It starts at 8 o'clock. I listened to an episode of that. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it was with you. Who else was it with? Was it with me? Um, it wasn't with you, actually. It wasn't? It was was it the one with Curtis? No. It was with Frankie, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Frankie, that's one of the only ones I haven't been on. Okay. So the one I heard it was the one that you was a really good episode. But again, the name dropped me in that one, so that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but that that's gonna be a really fun show. And then June twenty first at the San Jose Improv, I'm gonna be there. Uh, I think the show's called uh, Corporate Comedy, and that should be a really fun show. We're trying to get a lot of people out to that June twenty first San Jose Improv. Uh, I think the show starts at like seven o'clock. So yeah, get your tickets online. Also June first, I launch a podcast with PX Floro from uh san jose also px is awesome px is awesome you two together well, that's pretty that should be interesting it should be fun because um I, I was a co-host on a radio show i might as well quit my podcast and let you guys take over the airwaves <laughs> no we'll have you on dude that'll be really fun um but yeah we're basically dovetailing off of the radio show that she had on the radio uh-huh. and our podcast is called on june 1st look for it on itunes it's uh gonna be called comedians are people too and that's gonna be a that's gonna be a really really I like funny. That. Thank you. We have feelings too, people. We have feelings too. We go to the supermarket just like you guys. Yeah. We don't have to make a joke about it. If anything, we're just more broke than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are some things to look out for. Uh, awesome. Well, Chris, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, appreciate. It. Yeah, and, this is awesome. Yeah, and um, don't know. I think I think hearing your story, I wish you the best. You have a lot going on for you. Thanks, man. You too. I really hope everything works out for you. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Chris Mitri.